today I'd like to talk to you about happiness and having a happier Thanksgiving. You know, C.S. Lewis has that great statement where he says, joy is the serious business of heaven. And that's really true. The happiest person you will know, ever know, is the Lord. God's the happiest person you can know. And um, when, when you are welcomed into heaven, he says, uh, uh, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. You know, the shortest verse in the New Testament, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, you know, in, the, in English, it's John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But the, actually, the shortest verse in the New Testament is about joy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. All right, let's quote scripture. I want you to quote 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. You ready? Here we go. Rejoice always. Now, that's a lofty aim, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I fully understand that sadness also is a God-given emotion. It's part of being human. There are times when it is normative to feel sad, to feel frustrated, to be scared, something like that. Let me be very, very clear. There are great, wonderful reasons to rejoice in the Lord, okay? Let me also be clear, and at times, there are legitimate reasons to complain and to lament to God, all right? Reasons to rejoice, reasons to lament, but let me also be clear. The reasons to lament to God do not cancel or make void the reasons to rejoice in our great God. I want you to have a happier Thanksgiving, a happier life, to rejoice always, and I'm not naive. You may be in a season of sadness today. I'm not naive. Not everyone will be happier not everyone actually wants to be happy or happier. Not everyone will be equally happy. But hopefully, you can take it up a notch. In essence, I hope you will pursue happiness unless there is a very good reason to lament and be sad during a specific short period of life. That's so much better than choosing a chronically negative and unhappy approach to life. In other words, let's make the pursuit of Christian joy our default setting. First point, there's a kind of happiness when life is going well. And you don't have to be a Christian uh, to be happy when life is going well. You know, Jesus said one time, he said, the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And the sun shines on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning, you don't have to be a lover of God to experience so much of God's kindness in this world. You may not believe in God at all, but you know what? You're breathing his air. You can listen to music. You can enjoy artistry. 
You can enjoy a beautiful sunrise or sunset. You can know the joy of, of relationships and friendships. All these things, but now listen carefully. If you will follow the breadcrumbs on all these good gifts in your life, if you will follow those breadcrumbs, they're going to lead you right back to God's kindness, God's good hands. And that's why the Bible will say, actually, if you will pay attention to the goodness of God, it should lead you to repentance. It should lead you to faith in a good God. But there's a kind of happiness when life is going well. And there's a kind of happiness when life is lived well. Several studies have been done to try to, you know, break up the, the happiness pie. What goes into a person uh, having, you know, have some positive emotions, being happy in their life and with their life? And if you were to try to diagram the happiness pie, let me put these figures up on, on the screen. It sort of looks like this. That uh, 10% of a person's, you know, being happier comes through circumstances. A good thing, you know, a good purchase, something like that. But here's the, here's the thing we kind of forget. We think that that change in circumstance will give us a much bigger bump than it actually does. And we think it will give us a longer bump than it actually does. You know, think of maybe a, a kid's... Uh, uh, Christmas uh, gift, a toy for Christmas, and, and at that moment, it is fantastic, it is wonderful, nothing wrong with that, that's great, that's good. As adults, we enjoy the same thing, but that Christmas gift that's so fantastic on December 25th, next June, it's in the garage sale. It sort of lost its luster a little bit. That's why some people are shopaholics, always looking for that hit, that 10% hit, that 10% bump, and um, nothing wrong with enjoying some good gifts. But it's not going to be as big a bump as you think, and it's not going to last as long as you think. But the rest of the happiness pie, 90%, about 30 to 40%, comes through our genetic makeup, our DNA, just sort of the way we're hardwired, our constitutional uh, makeup. And if you don't think that's so, just hang around really young, small children. Because some of them start out in the world, and they are just happy babies, happy kids, easy to get along with. They're just so happy. And then some are adversarial from the get-go. Don't look at anyone right now, please, because this happens. Um, and that's just, you know, sort of have that make. And what I have to do as, a, as an adult is pay attention to my dispositions and predispositions. Some of you, you just need to know, okay, I'm, I'm sort of hardwired, maybe through a, my DNA and a combination, maybe an environment growing up, maybe I'm hardwired, I, you know, I can, I can go angry quickly, or I can go cynical quickly, or I can go critical uh, very, very quickly, and I, I need to be aware of that. But about 50% of the happiness pie, and this is such good news, is impacted by our choices, our actions, our reactions, and our efforts. And again, let me say something that I've said many times. Christianity 
is all about grace, yes, but Christianity is not opposed to effort. Christianity is opposed to merit. But we partner with God in building a little bit of a better life. So, how can we be happier? Here are some suggestions. Number one, to be happier, work at it. Give it some energy and effort. Every single thing in life that's worthwhile is attained through some effort, unless you inherit it. And a fundamental rule of life is that your actions shape your feelings more than your feelings shape your actions. If you want to feel more loving about a situation, act. Pray for your enemy. Feed that person. Do something that action fuels the emotion and the feeling. You want to feel a little happier? Act a little happier. And this idea that if you don't just feel giddy and you try to act happy, that that's being inauthentic, that's just crazy. You work at it. Put some effort into this. And, you, and, and, when I, and you're aware of what, where happiness does not lie. And so you invest happiness in a good way. You're going to work at it. Secondly, to be happier, run from envy. From envy. Our national pastime is comparing. And when everything is a comparison and a competition, it'll wear you out, eat away your joy. Listen to this Bible verse from James 3. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. My friends, when we engage in the national pastime of comparing constantly, there are just too many variables, too many intangibles to make comparisons valid. And that's why the Bible warns against it. It will wreck your joy. Thirdly, to be happier, complain less. When I started out in the ministry, I uh, you know, did both, you know, started out you know, preaching, but I was also the, the youth minister. And so we were doing a, a youth retreat, and we were doing it from the book of Philippians. And there's a great statement in the book of Philippians, I'll put it up here on the screen, from Philippians 2. It says this, do everything without what? Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that weekend at our retreat, what we were going to do, had all the teens and the chaperones, we said... Gang, we're going to pay attention to our propensity and tendency to complain. And so as we listen to one another, let's just, you know, we'll, we'll have a good attitude about all this. I had a number of safety pens, colored safety pens. And if we heard somebody complain, I'd say, okay, Ronnie, I heard that. And, you, you know, somebody put a safety pen on, on my shirt. And so I, I was explaining how we were going to do this. You complain, you get a safety pen. And one of the kids said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You get the first safety pin right there on your shirt. There you go. One of our members was telling me he went to a business seminar in Orlando the other day, and, um, and the, the speaker had uh, written a book called The, the Complaint-Free Zone, and he handed everybody a, a, a little, little bracelet that uh, they would wear and, and to pay attention 
to their tendency to complain. Somebody says, well, unhappy people complain. No, complaining makes you unhappy. It rains on your day, and it rains on everybody else's day. And it's like bad breath. Why are you inflicting that on me? Or why am I inflicting that on you? We talk about having a to-do list. I urge you to have a don't-do list. And one of the things on your don't-do list is just complain without filtering and thinking it through. The more we complain, the more unhappy we get. And you want to raise happier children, you teach them not to be whiners. Next, to be happier, own your own 20 square feet. Own your own 20 square feet. I can't control anyone else and try to influence, but I, I can own mine. Any study of happiness will say you have to exert a measure of self-control and self-discipline and practice moderation and everything. And some people think, well, moderation is boring. No, it's not. Moderation doesn't mean lifeless and passionless. It means you're going to be wise and not be mastered by things you don't need to be mastered by. And my friends, don't give in to the victim mentality. Virtually everybody and virtually everybody in this room could legitimately see yourself as a victim of some way. Maybe an unhealthy upbringing, maybe an unhealthy uh, home life, um, maybe you've had uh, financial problems not of your own making, maybe some health issues that you didn't choose, maybe some disabilities you didn't choose, and there may be some legitimacy. But if we make the choice to view ourselves as a victim first, as opposed to a daughter of King Jesus first, a son of King Jesus first. We'll give in to anger, complaints, and you're not going to find the kind of joy you could. You take that approach, then whatever happens in your life, you're going to be looking to someone else. And I urge you for the good of your family and the people around you, own your 20 square feet, own your speech, own your attitude, own your actions and responses. Next, to be happier, learn contentment. Learn contentment. You do know that you are insatiable, don't you? You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're insatiable. You cannot be satisfied. Sorry. You can't be satisfied. We are insatiable. You're going to see it on TV. Hey, if you're not completely satisfied with your love life, call this number. I drive a fantastic car, a Toyota Camry. Am I satisfied with it? I was until I saw yours. Martha and I live in a fantastic house. Am I satisfied with it? I was until I went to yours. If you were to ask my wife, Martha, do you love Ronnie? Do you like being married to him? 
I, I know exactly what she would say. She would say, I love him. He's terrific. I really like being married to him. But if you were to inject her with some truth serum and say, are you completely satisfied with Ronnie? She's not going to be completely satisfied. Our human nature is insatiable. That's why you have to tell your human nature, I hear you, but I'm not listening to you. Because we're never completely satisfied with anything. One writer talked, said it's the, the missing tile mentality. You know, if you go into a room and you look at this beautiful ceiling tile and there's one tile missing. You fixate on that missing tile. And he said, ceilings though, you can make it perfect. You can fix that. But you can't do that in life. There will always be some tile missing, something's not quite right. And if it's not missing, you can just imagine though how it should be better. And unless you concentrate on what you do have, you will obsess over imaginary missing tiles. That's why the Bible will say this in Philippians 4. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do this. Through Christ, who gives me the strength. Contentment's not laziness. It's not um, the, the mindset that says, uh, uh, whatever. Um, contentment wouldn't have a cup of coffee with the spirit of laziness. Contentment simply says, I'm going to be joyful and enjoy where I am at this stage rather than constantly where I want to be. We're going to enjoy the journey. And not just constantly obsess over finally getting to the station. Enjoy the journey. Don't just look at how far you have to go. Look at how far you've come as well. You know, there's that serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot, I cannot change. And you might even want to add to accept the things I really shouldn't spend time trying to change. The courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Next, to be happier, value your relationships. Value them. And it's important as you build relationships that when I say value them, make sure your best friends share your values. Don't just build friendships based on their fun, their personality, chemistry. It's not going to last and there's going to come an explosion or an implosion, you got to make sure your most important values are in sync. That's why the Bible would say, the person who walks with the wise grows wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. But as you build these friendships, protect them and be realistic. In a fallen world, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to disappoint we got to show grace we got to cut slack as Jesus would say in Matthew 7 the golden rule we're going to do unto others as we'd want them do to do to us just like I'd want somebody to show me some slack 
cut them some slack. There was a church not too long ago in our social media world that had this sign out front. Tweet others the way you would want to be tweeted. Value those relationships. Every study of happiness says you may want to just curl up at home on a couch with Netflix. And, you know, there's a time to do that. But if you will engage socially, if you will have some connections and relationships, the happiness factor gets bumped up a notch or two. Um, Next, to be happier, express gratitude. Express gratitude. There's a professor at Yale University. Her name is Lori Santos. She teaches a course there on happiness. It's actually called Psychology and the Good Life. And she focuses on answering questions like, what actually makes us happy? What goes into the good life? And she says a lot of things. You know most of them. She says friendships are important. Giving, being generous is important. Doing things for others. She said you would think happiness would, you know, it's like all about me. And actually, that's that's a recipe for disaster. And she said, studies actually show, even though this person's not a believer, she said, studies actually show that people who go to church and practice their faith consistently rate higher on happiness scales. And she says, it has to do with the routine of religious rituals, that regular habit of gathering and worshiping. That regular habit of being generous and doing things for others. He said, she said, there's a bump in that. Again, she's not a believer. She just said, this is what, based on my uh, research. Then she said this too. One of my favorite, most profound effects is the effect of taking a little time for gratitude. The simple act of counting your blessings. And there's evidence that in as little as two weeks, the simple act of writing three to five things you're grateful for down on a piece of paper can improve your well-being and significantly improve your well-being. And it was like, if, if I could say, hey, here's a pill that if you take it, you can take this and you're going to get a happiness bump that's going to last over a month, would you do it? And she says, I showed these students the graphs. And I said, you know what some of you need to do? Get that index card. Write down three to five things you're really grateful for. And on a regular, brace, on a regular basis, express that gratitude. And she said, you're going you're gonna to see a difference. I remember 30 years ago reading, a, uh, reading an article where there was this life coach. And he had a friend Uh, a lady friend who worked in an office downtown and he was talking to her one day about her job and he said well how do you enjoy how do you uh, enjoy your job she said uh i hate it i don't like it don't like anything about it Uh, he said "Uh, really uh you don't like anything about it no don't like anything about it he said do they not pay you down there and she said well of course they pay me i don't think they pay me enough and he said but uh, do they pay you she said well yeah uh, they pay me he said, I tell you what you do. Let's, let's make a little list of things you do like about your job. So I like the fact that they pay me. Well, what else? Well, there's nothing else. Well, 
do they allow you to take vacations? Well, of course they allow me to take vacations. Well, let's write that down. I like my job because they allow me to take vacations. Do they actually pay you when you go on vacation? Do you get paid vacations? Well, sure, I get paid vacations. Well, that's the third thing. I like my job because I get paid vacations. So they sat down. They worked on the list. They came up with about 25 things that she could actually say, I like this about my job. He said, now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you for the next couple of months, would you just regularly, daily, go down that list? I like my job because they pay me. They pay paid vacations. I like it my job because I have a short commute. I do like this one person there, et cetera, et cetera. So a couple of months later, they're chatting again, and he said to her, so how are things at work? She said, fantastic. You wouldn't believe how much those people have changed down at the office. As believers, God has already coached us. We don't have to take the course at Yale. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can do that because of what we know. We know God can help. We know he'll never leave us or forsake us. We know he can turn it around if that's his will. We know he can see us through. And so Psalm 103, we will praise the Lord, O my soul, and we will not forget all of his benefits. And by the way, back to that Yale study, that's one of the blessings of being regular in church worship rituals and routines. What happens when you worship? You bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, I don't feel like it. Bless the Lord. This is not I don't know whether I feel like it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget, don't overlook, don't just take for granted all of his wonderful benefits in your life. Last of all, be happier, go deep with God. Peggy Noonan wrote an article in Forbes magazine. It was called You'd cry too if it happened to you. And she was responding to the question of why are people so unhappy? She settled on this. People are unhappy many times. And I'm not talking about somebody who's been clinically diagnosed with depression. But I'm talking about why are people, generally speaking, unhappy? She said it's because we've lost our moral and spiritual center. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're wondering about your own life, let me ask you, have you wandered from your moral and your spiritual center? Someone as great as King David, when he wandered from his moral and spiritual center, you remember what he said? He said, my, my strength was sapped. As in the heat of summer, imagine being outside on the July, August day, and you're out there for an outdoor wedding, and it's a long wedding, and, and your strength is just sapped. 
He said, when I wandered away from my moral and my spiritual center, it felt like my bones were breaking. Do you need to come back to your moral and spiritual center? And here's the good news. God meets us, redeems us, cleanses us, renews us in his grace and in the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this. When, the, when, the, uh, when his disciples wanted to celebrate their spiritual power, he said, as great as it is, don't just rejoice that the spirits submit to you. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Romans 4, but people can be counted as righteous. That's you, that's me. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. That same David who said, my strength was sapped, my, felt like my bones were breaking because I wandered from my moral and spiritual core. But praise be to the God of our grace. Verse 7, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. God's grace is bigger than any wandering. He loves you. He's for you. You may believe that he's there, believe he's there for you. Here's the way one theologian defined Christian happiness. It's a defiant, nevertheless. Though I'm wasting away, nevertheless, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Though I may have lost my job, nevertheless, I haven't lost my treasure in Christ. Though my days are numbered, nevertheless, my best days are yet to come. Whatever happens in the life of a believer, I'm not saying it's not distasteful or disconcerting or heavy or, or, or shouldn't produce some sadness, but as a believer, we can defiantly look the worst in the eye and say, nevertheless, I belong to the Lord. My sins are forgiven. He will never leave me or forsake me. He will see me through it, around it, over it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. You say, well, Ronnie, talking about happiness, isn't this kind of maybe a little self-centered? In closing, <laughs> no. When you seek to pay attention to, to your joy, to your happiness, it's a gift you are giving to your family and to people around you. It's something that helps actually your Christian witness the joy of the Lord. And that's sort of what makes it really a little bit of a moral issue. Ask anyone who grew up under a chronically unhappy parent. 
how enjoyable that was. Ask anybody who's been tied to someone who is surly and cranky and likes being surly and cranky. Our happiness, at least our pursuit of it, affects others profoundly. And if you don't think we, we can play a part in that, I'm not saying completely. I've got my genetic makeup I have to pay attention to and some, you know, all that stuff. But if you don't think that we have a measure of control, I can prove it to you that you do. You say, well, Ronnie, I'm not going to be in a good mood. I don't like being in a good mood, and uh, that's just who I am. I can prove that I could change your mood. If I said, I'm going to make sure that you're paid $15,000 a month. If the people closest to you said, you know, she's really improved her mood. He's really improved his mood. I guarantee you, you'd sign up for that. All right? Now, we're going to spend just a moment in prayer. Let me invite, please, our uh, worship team back up here. Let me invite our uh, elder couples uh, uh, up here. And one more reminder. Remember that in this life... <laughs> You will never be totally satisfied, and quite honestly, that's one of God's good gifts. God holds our attention for heaven by gracing us with a measure of dissatisfaction here. But in the meantime, God has created our souls that certain behaviors work against our joy. Jealousy, selfishness, distrust, holding grudges. And certain other behaviors feed your joy. Honesty, generosity, faithfulness, worship. We literally feel better when we embrace that. Well, God bless you, everyone. And remember that this is uh, the most repeated statement in all the Bible. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His love endures forever. I hope you have a happier Thanksgiving.